Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are less than two weeks out from SummerSlam 2022 so you know the Silver King Adam Silverstein and Vintage Chris Benini are here to break down everything that happened this past week in the world of WWE that includes Smackdown Raw things happening off the screen all encompassing review of the last week in WWE and we do have Plenty to break down across today's show, but you guys know this is the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and I begin every single episode with a reminder that this show is So please, I'm really tired of asking at this point. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take an extra minute or two. Also, leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, why you subscribe. The goal of those reviews is to help uh, publicize the show and get more people listening and subscribing. And the reviews do work. When we get an influx of new reviews, a lot more people end up finding the show. Guess what? That leads to even more reviews. So please take a moment, Apple Podcasts, not just the five-star rating, leave a review as well. And if you do, we, of course, will read it right here on the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We are still building up that account as well. Things are going okay, but we have reached a little bit of a lull. I know how many people listen. I know I have to assume the vast majority, if not all of you, have a Twitter account. And I know that number is nowhere close to our number of followers right now. So do not forget to follow us, please, on Twitter at getting overcast. Now, normally, once I do that promotional stuff for you at the beginning of the episode, this is where Chris and I get into an overarching conversation about the week in WWE, our thoughts about SmackDown and Raw individually, and then we kind of move you into the main event and the good, the bad, and the ugly. But this week, for me, watching WWE television was a little bit different because nothing stood out. In fact, the fact that nothing stood out is what stood out to me. It feels like an extremely drab um, time right now in the world of WWE, which should not be the case given they are about to begin a three-stadium show tour across three different countries, by the way, um, and coming out of what was supposed to have been the first stadium show in Money in the Bank. This is, you would think, the second most significant time of the year for WWE, the most significant being that period from January until late March or early April, WrestleMania season. Yet here we are in the middle of what used to be called the biggest party of the summer, and things really haven't been that exciting. So normally, like I said, I would introduce Chris Vanini in here, and we would kind of go over that, but that is actually going to be the main event topic of today's show. So I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to slide into that right now and let Chris join us. Folks, let's immediately get into the main event. So Chris, yeah, I kind of uh, gave it away. Spoiler alert, maybe I should have said. The main event of today's show is that the SummerSlam build right now is seriously lacking for WWE. And it is something we've gone over across the last two shows 
But I was thinking about it last night, and I do believe it's probably one of the worst builds. Now, please separate what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about the card. I'm talking about the build to the show. I think it's one of the worst builds that WWE's ever put together for a major show. SmackDown and Friday, it did take a step forward in providing more sensible booking compared to what we got two weeks ago where I absolutely trashed it. I thought it was one of the worst WWE television shows of all time. But Raw on Monday, I thought took a huge step back and was almost SmackDown-esque like it was two weeks ago. Not that bad necessarily, but in the same vein. But here we are, here we sit, Chris, less than two weeks out from SummerSlam. And I don't really have a main event topic for you. Like the main event storyline going into the show, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. We've only been doing the podcast for what? Like two years, two and a half years at this point, maybe three. No, I don't think we're at three, like two and a half years. And how many times have we talked about Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar? There's nothing else to say. And there's clearly nothing else to say because WWE isn't even developing its main event storyline on television because nothing is happening. I suppose we could have gone with Theory or Uso's Street Profits, but really not much of anything happened in either feud and not much of anything happened across SmackDown and Raw. There is just, there is a drought of star power week to week, much like there is a drought here in Texas right now where it's 108 freaking degrees every single day. And... It's like, you know, we, we're not getting Roman or Lesnar on TV most times. We're not and getting if you Randy do, Orton. And if you do, you're getting one of them. Yes. We're not getting Randy Orton. We're not getting Cody Rhodes. You know, it's just like, you know, Lo- Logan Paul will pop up once, you know, or, or so. It's just like there's just not much going on week to week. And even if even, you know, you look at the card and you think, okay there are matches on here that I think will be good. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're telling bad stories for these. It's that they're not really telling any stories. Exactly. On these. I don't we'll get into them. I don't know what the riddle Seth Rollins story really is right now. I don't know what the Bianca Becky story is really other than just Becky gets another title shot and we're doing this again. And it's just like things are just kind of. There, some of it again, not WWE's fault because of injuries and whatnot, but um, it's just kind of blah, and well, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but that—that's the thing. Yes, injuries did happen, and yes, injuries affected the show. There is no question about it. As did you know, storyline changes, right? Sasha Banks and Naomi walking out. It's not to say that they would have been involved in any of the matches that are here, but they caused storyline changes that perhaps didn't allow the plans WWE had to take place leading into where we are on the show. Um, But between those two things, yeah, a lot of stuff did change and get adjusted, but there was plenty of time still, despite all of those things, for WWE to adjust and make interesting storylines for the show. And I actually disagree with you in that there's no star power. There is star power on the show. But what's most notable is that there is star power not on this show. Edge, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, the Intercontinental title and its champion Gunther, Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and New Day. These are some of the biggest names in the entire company. None of them, zero 
None of them are on the card right now. A couple will surely be added. I have and it's to already imagine. An eight, it's an, yeah, it's an eight-match card already. It's not like but it's a an, ton of room. It's exactly right. It's an eight-match card. Last year was 11. This year they're going shorter, so let's make believe they do 10. Let's, let's assume that they're going to do 10. So you have two matches left to add, let's say. And all of those names I just read you, how are you having a SummerSlam without Kevin Owens and AJ Styles and Edge again? These people might get added. Rey Mysterio, Finn Balor, Asuka, who has been one of your top women since she returned after WrestleMania. There's a lot of people who are not showing up on this show. And the card as it's constructed, to me, when we get to SummerSlam, I'm going to say to you, like when we do the ultimate preview next week and we watch the show, I'm going to say, Chris, you know what? Despite a shitty build, this card is stacked. And it is. There's a potential to have really good wrestling and really entertaining matches on the SummerSlam show. But what you need to sell a pay-per-view, even though that's not the business WWE is in anymore, they're doing premium Hey, you said pay-per-view. You said pay-per-view, by the way. Yeah, well, I was. you didn't let me finish my statement. I said, even though that's not the business WWE is in anymore, they're doing premium live events. Beca- because you are still building to that show, you need to give people reason to watch in the first place. I can put on the greatest wrestling show of all time, but if I give no one a reason to watch it, then no one's going to see it. It's the whole, if a tree falls in the forest. Now look, at SummerSlam. People are going to watch either way. And maybe that's why WWE is booking this way. Maybe they just think, you know what? WrestleMania, SummerSlam, it doesn't effing matter. They're going to watch. That's extremely disappointing if that's the way they think. So we come into this and I, again, I actually, despite all the injuries, despite all the issues, I do think WWE has star power. And I think a lot of the stars are on this show, but a lot of them aren't, even those that are healthy. And that is the biggest problem. Why are we getting Bobby Lashley theory again? When the guy has the Money in the Bank briefcase, you have a stacked roster on Raw. Why not elevate Kevin Owens into a United States Championship challenger? Why not bring AJ Styles into that mix? Uh, I'm mentioning a babyface there and Styles and Lashley as a face. But whatever, find another heel on the show. Let Seth Rollins contend for the United States Championship. There's different things you can do to give us fresh stuff. And they're just not doing it. So uh, before I run down the card, I'll let you get back in if you have something else to say. But I kind of want to run down this card briefly and give everyone an example of what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, it feels like WrestleMania this year and in previous years where just the build is not very good, but they put on a good show. And I think ultimately SummerSlam will be a good show. The hit rate on these pay-per-views has been very good. But it's just, you know, we do this podcast week to week, multiple times a week. And week to week, the television product just is not very good. Right. And weeks, some weeks are good. And you're like, oh, that's that's awesome. I'm, I hope this continues. And then it doesn't. And that's right. And, and or they tease something where you say, oh, you know what? That would make a lot of sense if they do it. And then they don't do it. So you're yes. you're just left there kind of holding it in your hand, um, you know, to not use the actual term. So I'm going to run down this card. I'm going to just do it all together. You can interject at any point. But I'm just giving people examples of really what I'm talking about. You start with the two celebrity matches, Ms. Logan Paul, Baron Corbin, Pat McAfee. Look, to be fair, these may be some of the strongest storylines on the entire show. They both make complete sense and they've been developed on TV. The Corbin McAfee thing makes all the sense in the world. Ms. Logan Paul, they set up at WrestleMania and they're right back into it. So credit where it's due. Both of those make sense. 
Uh, United States Championship, Bobby Lashley in theory. It is a completely unnecessary rematch that, by the way, is not even being built on TV anymore because Theory is feuding with 10 different people. So so there's no concentration whatsoever on Lashley, which is a title match this guy has at the show. I don't think he went face-to-face with him on SmackDown, obviously, or Raw. We didn't even see Lashley on Raw, so maybe he was off. That's okay. I'm just saying. SmackDown Women's Championship, Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey. It's an easy storyline, but so far, the entire thing has been about Natalia. Plus, it's babyface, babyface, which is very difficult booking for WWE whenever they get into that. Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch, it feels like the feud's been going on for a year and never stopped. It was supposed to end at WrestleMania. It didn't. Now, obviously, there's reasons for that, the Sasha Banks and Naomi situation, but still, there's other people on that show. Oh, I should also mention Rhea Ripley getting injured. That's another reason why it doesn't feel like it stopped. But you have Alexa Bliss, who was waiting in the wings for a return. There are other things they could have done. Instead, they just kind of kept Becky Lynch hanging around with a downward spiral that never actually hit rock bottom. Like it, it didn't actually ever get there. You never believed she was out of the championship picture. You have Riddle and Seth Rollins. You mentioned this a moment ago. It's probably going to be the match of the night at SummerSlam. It does have a little bit of a storyline, but not really any right now. They just kind of made it. You have the Usos and the Street Profits. They did have a storyline that led to money in the bank. And now the storyline is that the refereeing was so bad, they went and got a special guest referee who presumably would be worse at refereeing because it's not their full-time job. And it's also the second direct rematch coming out of Money in the Bank on the show and the third rematch overall. It has also gotten the most time on TV, though, so maybe we can give it a break. And lastly, Chris, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship match, Reigns-Lesnar, which literally has no storyline whatsoever. Lesnar showed up. I want a match. They didn't even announce it on the show. After SmackDown ended, they called it Last Man Standing. Now they gave it a tagline, and they haven't interacted since. The promos haven't barely been about each other. Nothing has happened. So of the eight matches on the SummerSlam card so far, six of them are either WrestleMania rematches, Money in the Bank rematches, or celebrity matches. And that right there inherently is the problem. This card lacks notable matches, It lacks stars. Not that there aren't stars on the show, but it's missing a lot of other stars. And it lacks storyline build. I don't know how I'm supposed to get excited about SummerSlam, even if on paper it looks like it could be a banger of a show. I still need to be sold going into it to get my anticipation up to be really excited about the show. Yeah, look, I I mean, we're, we're basically saying this leading into almost every pay per view, which is like, uh, I don't know, they don't, they don't. There were every pay per view since WrestleMania, we've been like, "Hey, why isn't so and so on the card?" It's kind of weird. It's yes. like it's missing a couple yeah. things. That's true. It could because they want the show to go three hours and that's it. But it ends up being a really good, solid show. And week to week, TV's hit and miss. It's just kind of the, the business model now, where they're going to put on a good pay per view, and you honestly don't need to watch week to week necessarily uh, to 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 get it. So you know, it's it's. We, we've kind of talked about this uh, a lot. And honestly, AW similarly kind of has a problem at times, too. So it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of where wrestling is right now, where it's like week to week, it's not consistent, but you're probably going to get a pretty good pay-per-view at the end of it. So and we, we kind of just wait for that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's not really how it should be. Like, you know, one of the things we talk about that is a problem with AEW, and this really is more about their matches than anything else. But 
the matches are just like spots and there's not really a storyline that kind of threads you through the match. And that is what I appreciate about WWE, but it's also what WWE does best. And now that I'm kind of thinking about it, and I, I really didn't even have a note on this kind of leading into the show, but now that I'm thinking about it, the other problem with the SummerSlam build and this card, it's actually kind of obvious. In addition to it being like really light on storylines, there's basically no underdogs on the show. Like Reigns and Lesnar, it speaks for itself to, you know, to Mastodons, if you want to call it that, right? Belair, who theoretically would be working from under against a more veteran, no, there, experienced woman in Lynch. I'm just yeah, saying there, there, in, in, in a, for WrestleMania, she was the challenger is what I'm saying. Not, yeah, not there, working there's, from under. There's, there's, there's one underdog. It's Liv Morgan. But she's a well, champion, so it's but weird. Th- that's what I'm getting at. That that's exactly yeah. what I'm getting at. So, Beck, so uh, Bianca at WrestleMania, she was the challenger. So you wanted her to win the title off the bad heel. She's already champion. Liv Morgan, she had her great moment at Money in the Bank. If she was challenging Ronda Rousey here, you would say, "Oh my God, I'm really, really rooting for Liv to have this moment." She's already champion. Theory just lost the title to Lashley and has the briefcase already, even though he's a heel. He's not even really an underdog in that match because it doesn't matter whether he wins the title. He already has the briefcase. So there's not really a moment on this show. When you look at all the matches, there's not a single moment to anticipate. If they didn't throw away that riddle match on SmackDown against Roman Reigns, or if they ran that back here, Roman Reigns versus Riddle in the main event, I think we would have something. You'd be going into the show saying, holy shit, is WWE going to put the main title on Riddle? Randy Orton being injured and the RK Bro versus Bloodline storyline kind of just dissipating. It killed the build to this show. Like having Randy Orton in that spot, he is not an underdog. He's a veteran who's obviously been doing it longer than Roman Reigns. But going into the match, you would say, man, Randy's the most over babyface in the company right now. Is this when they do it? Is this when they take the title off Reigns? We know they're not going to take the title off Reigns with Brock Lesnar. So you're not anticipating that match. Again, Liv already cashed in her briefcase. So instead, all of these wads, for lack of a better term, have already been blown. There's just nothing going into SummerSlam that we're going to say, man, Chris, on the Ultimate Preview, I really hope X beats Y. Belair already beat Lynch. Liv is already champion. Reigns and Lesnar I already discussed. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's a good. That's a good point. We're we're not. There's not some big moment we're like waiting for. And, And another part of that is. Three of the four champions on the show are faces. Yeah. So so it's not like, hey, is someone gonna is Bianca gonna get her moment against Becky? She already did. Like you said, they kind of blew the wads, so to speak, on those things. The only other, I'm sorry, three of the five. The the other one would be the tag teams, the Street Profits against the Usos. That feels like the only. That yes. feels like the only possibility of it. Does it does except. The Street Profits are not some like up and coming tag team that's been on the main roster for six months or they're multi-time champions. So like, sure, yes, we definitely want, you know, as fans, the Street Profits to win, beat the Usos, end their title reign. And it would be a great moment with a great pop. There's no question about that. In fact, going into the show, not to spoil our ultimate preview, I think we have to, even if it doesn't happen, I think we have to pick the Street Profits because that's the moment that it may be the only one that they get on the entire show, WWE. The Street Profits beating the Usos. But it's a match that we already saw. Even that is a rematch. And maybe they do it with the aid of a special guest referee. So 
that's the issue going into the show. It's the lack of well, underdogs and yeah. the lack of potential moments. And we just saw the Street Profits, I don't know if it was a tag team match or a singles match, beat the Usos, but it had but Jay or whoever's shoulder was up. So well, like that we kind of yeah. saw that too. Which, that happened, which, and I think they beat them initially in a championship contenders match to get their first title shot, if memory serves. Might have serves. been, yeah. So, yeah. so they've already given this away. They, they've already done it. And so that's that's my overall problem. Hey, Chris, look, at least the undisputed WWE Universal Champion is going to be on Raw Monday, Madison Square Garden. It'll be the first time he shows up on the longest-running weekly episodic television show in history, WWE Signature Program, in 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Yes. Three well, full months the champion has not been on Raw. It goes back to what we said months ago with both this and the tag team is that unifying the belts didn't help. And I don't know what the purpose of it was. If we didn't have those unified belts, in either case, all of these pay-per-views since WrestleMania would feel like bigger shows. Yeah, it it actively hurt the product. And we've gone over it a million times, so there's no need to rehash it. It's just it comes up every time we get to these moments. What's what's interesting is because you mentioned the tag teams, which we don't talk about as frequently. There are some tag teams still. Don't get me wrong. Like they're trying to develop the Viking Raiders and New Day, obviously, is still on TV on SmackDown. The tag teams on Raw have disappeared. And there were, by the way, a lot. I think there were like six tag teams on Raw. They're gone. Alpha Academy, we see them rarely. They just show up and do something. Los Lotharios are fodder for taking losses here and there. But at one point, uh, RK Bro, obviously, Randy Orton's injured. Um, at one point, there were like six legitimate tag teams on Raw and like five of them on SmackDown. And because there's now an undisputed championship, WWE, just kind of like the way it books women, it can only really figure out one storyline at a time, one main storyline at a time. And everyone else is just off TV. Dirty Dogs, where's Robert Roode? He's non-existent. Dolph Ziggler's there by himself now. So it's just, yeah, it's a big problem, the the merging of those titles. They got to figure out a way to separate them. Uh, maybe they're going to wait and do it in the draft at this point. I don't even know. I don't know how you separate titles. It is not easy to do that, especially when you you refuse to have the champions lose them. That, yeah. I don't know. That, that Again, like you said, it doesn't feel like we're building to a moment. It doesn't feel like we're going to have a star-making performance here. Um, which we typically get with SummerSlams and, and WrestleManias. Nobody feels, nobody feels like bigger than the show right now because Roman and Brock are barely on TV and we're kind of sick of them. So it's just like you take out Cody, you take out Randy Orton, you take out Sasha and Naomi, and you're left with like, eh, you're left with fine stuff, but like nothing that feels big, essentially. And that's where did we're you, at. Did you hear the reaction AJ Styles got on Raw last night? Uh, no, nah, I, I can't remember it. Like it was a monster reaction, a huge okay. baby face pop. Random. I was, I, was wa- I was watching Raw with a. I was watching Raw with a bunch of puppies running around. So my my view of it was a little bit different. That's fine. He was across. Theory is getting massive heat. Styles got a yes. huge face pop going against him, and I'm like, this guy you have no plans for, and and this is a guy you've made champion who who you trust and is established. You have no plans for him. He's not doing anything. It's. That is what I'm talking about going into SummerSlam. It is absolutely mind-boggling. Look, we're going to get to the good, the bad, and the ugly and actually break down everything that happened on television this week. Really quick before we do, we'll call it the second part of the main event. A report came out late last week 
that WWE would be moving Raw to TV 14 as its new rating on Monday nights. WWE and USA Network, I should say, had decided to make Raw a TV 14 show. Now that was reported. Uh, It was also reported that it was going to happen this past Monday. So yesterday, uh, in terms of when we're taping the show, we tape on Tuesday. So this past Monday night, except Raw went on the air and it was TVPG. And apparently this report uh, over the last week was slightly retracted. Not that WWE Raw is not moving to TV 14, but rather it will happen sometime in the future. And there's not a date uh, where it's set to do that turnover as of right now. And Chris, you know, until it makes that change or until we have a date to look forward to or look ahead to, I don't really know that there's too much to say, but I will note this. For anyone thinking a move to TV 14 is going to drastically change the product, you know, take a step back and realize, please, that it's not going to. What a TV 14 move does is it provides WWE and USA Network with more like flexibility when it comes to language, certain references, maybe a couple storylines or or areas in which they want to kind of move into. But we're not going to see bloodletting like on AEW or hardcore matches every week or live sex celebrations like we did in the 90s. We're not going to revisit the Kiss My Ass Club, although I'm sure Vince McMahon would love to do that right now. It's just going to give WWE and USA a little more flexibility. Last week, I think, I forgot what word Brock Lesnar used. I think it was shit kicker, he said. They bleeped it. They bleeped him saying shit kicker. They, on Fox, on SmackDown, they bleeped a holy shit chant from the crowd. Um, I think they've bleeped ass recently, the word ass. These are acceptable words, even for TVPG. Going to TV14 means you don't have to worry about that type of stuff. And Raw, by the way, is a cable television product. There really aren't restrictions when it comes to cable TV. You can say the F word. You can show some types of nudity. There is that flexibility. The network just needs to be willing to do it. So given Raw is a show mostly watched by adults that goes all the way until 11 p.m., despite WWE being a PG product, I do think that going to a TV 14 rating, just it makes the show, maybe it'll make it feel a little bit more raw, a little bit fresher and more lively, a little bit more flexibility from the language aspect of things. Maybe it'll make it feel a little bit more real. But booking is still booking and storytelling is still storytelling. And being able to say shit or shit kicker or bitch or ass or whatever the case without being bleeped, it's only going to take you so far. So do I think it's a positive development? Yes. Do I think it's going to make much of a difference? No. Didn't, wasn't it a year or so ago we got Seth Rollins saying shit on TV because he realized he could do it? Yes, you can do it. You are allowed to. They just occasionally will bleep it. It's, it's, I don't know. It's yeah, my in. I don't know if it's in, it's in a certain hour of the show or, or, or what, but like oh, overall for this, look, WWE made this push to TVPG. It became a product geared more towards younger audiences and, and, and children. And during that period of doing that, the, the viewing audience of WB skewed older than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking, all right, that didn't work. Why would you do that? But the flip, but but it also helped get WWE to record revenues because it became a more family friendly product 
for sponsors. You know, even if you're not getting the kids audience, you're getting the sponsors that want to be in front of the audience you're supposedly trying to get. Mm-hmm. You go to any show, you see a lot of kids there. You see parents buying all the stuff for them. So while the TV viewing audience may skew older than it did, that 18 to 35 demo, whatever it is, um, that move clearly paid off financially for WWE. Now, as for what this possibly means for Raw, I don't think it means much because I don't trust the creative team to do anything that matters with it other than potentially say a word the way the, the way they awkwardly say bitch sometimes to try to get a pop from the crowd. You've, you've also got Fox, which is on uh, broadcast television, which has to bleep when the crowd's chanting holy shit, making everything awkward when you watch that happening. So it's not going to happen on that show. Right. And, you know, we, we've had, you know, a couple years ago, whatever, we had the, the Lana Bobby Lashley sleeping together storyline. It's not like they haven't done exactly sex themed stories before and stuff like that. It, 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 if they can get a little edgier, sure. But it, I don't exactly after almost 20 years of this or so expect a creative direction still led by Vince McMahon to drastically change. Exactly. So the, to the, me, so yeah. So to me, it's 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 to me, it's really nothing. You're right. The the PG rating did not hurt WWE's booking. WWE's booking hurt WWE's booking. The PG rating it does put you in a little bit more of a box, but nothing that good creative can't get out of. As you said, WWE's done plenty of storylines around sex relationships. They've used curse words, you know, quote unquote curse words. I don't even consider shit, bitch, ass, those types of things, curse words. But they've used those words on Raw over the last few years. So what does this really accomplish? Not much. When you mention the changes in terms of the ratings and who's watching and who's not, the reason why it skews older now isn't because more older people are watching. It's because fewer younger people are, fewer teenagers, fewer people and, in their 20s. Yes. And all those young people from the Attitude Era grew up into the old... <laughs> Right, into so they're the, not into developing. The, into the, yeah, into the older demographic. They're not getting the new, they're not getting the new young fans. Right, they're not, and, and when we say young, we're not talking about six, seven, eight, because those kids are all watching with their parents. We're talking about 13, 14, you know, up to 25, 26, who need to be brought into the product. And that is very much why they're using Pat McAfee and why they're using Logan Paul and Bad Bunny. And they're using people that are helping, you know, improve or maintain at a minimum that demographic. So maybe by going to TV 14, when those people watch the show and they hear the promos, maybe they'll be a little bit less scripted because scripted promos, WWE scripted promos. No, listen, they became vastly more predominant when it became a PG product because WWE needed that control over what the wrestlers were saying because they were worried it might go past the PG guidelines. I don't expect them to suddenly open up the scripts and say, say whatever you want on TV but maybe they go a little bit more hands-off. Even Chris, 25% more hands-off is more hands-off when it comes to WWE scripted promos. So if there's a little bit of that, the the promos are a little bit more natural sounding. The storylines, I don't expect them to get more adult, but maybe there's a little bit more violence, you know, a little bit more hardcore stuff, chair shots and tables and, and all those kinds of things. Then maybe those individual developments can make the product a little bit more exciting. But at the end of the day, and this is the main point that both you and I are making, the 
none of that, the PG rating is never what hampered WWE. Its own creative and its own booking is what's hampered WWE. And this won't change that, but maybe it helps things along a little bit. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe WWE pulls off, pulls back on scripted promos when I hear it. I just, I don't have faith after what, 15, 20 years of this that, uh, that they're going to see that. Well, I mean, there have been, there are, there have been changes. I think people think it's the same WWE that it was five years ago. It's, It's not. Five years ago, they were scripting everything. Now people do get an opportunity to go out there not being fully scripted. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Becky Lynch, like yes. Roman Reigns. There's a lot of people who do, I don't know if they speak completely extemporaneously on the mic, but they do have a lot of leeway to say what they need to say. Seth Rollins goes out there is another example of someone who does that. So it is not as canned as it was five years ago, but no, I don't expect them going to TV 14, all of a sudden tearing up scripts, go out there, say whatever you want. It's not the attitude era. It's not going to be like that. But if there are incremental adjustments, it might make for a slightly more entertaining product. But again, the big changes will come with better creative and better storytelling. And that is not something that a rating it was hampering or is going to improve. That all comes from Vince McMahon and whoever is currently on that team. One last thing. One, one thing I do hope to see from promos as it relates to this potential move is that the promos get more direct and speak about doing violence to each other. Too, too many right. of these wrestling feuds are about, about not trying to kick someone's ass, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope that you can kind of get back to that with a move like this. That, I, I, guess that, I guess that's my biggest hope. Not necessarily gets more violent, but that the tone gets a little bit more violent where you can actually take this seriously. More, more serious. I, I don't even know that violent is the necessary word. Serious. That it matters. Yes. It feels like it's important. That it's not a kid show. If they can change the tone, then I think that alone would be an improvement. Again, it's not going to make the not going to turn the product upside down, but it could make it more watchable in many ways. So Correct. we will see if that, of course, that all of that happens. Now we have gone, you know, more than a half hour into this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We haven't discussed anything that's actually happened on SmackDown or Raw this week. Let's rectify that by sliding into the good, the bad, and the ugly. So clearly a lot to go over. Let's not waste time. Let's get right to it. Theory, uh, we're going to start with him because he was across SmackDown and Raw quite a bit. Uh, Backstage at SmackDown, he said he suddenly got a lot of enemies. Paul Heyman interrupted him, shook his hand and said Theory knows Heyman gave him the biggest break of his career, referring back to his time as executive director of Raw. Heyman said Theory should work with him to schedule a Money in the Bank cash-in type of match for the main event of a major show against Roman Reigns. Theory appreciated the advice. He said it'll be more useful once he becomes champion. Later in the show, Heyman gave the same scheduled title match pitch to Madcap Moss, asking him to beat Theory the way he did Happy Corbin. Moss said Heyman sounded scared and just walked away. No surprise here, but Theory's best segment to date since winning the Money in the Bank briefcase came alongside Paul Heyman, who just elevates everyone around him. They played off each other extremely well. It was super entertaining. Moss was not as charismatic, but I loved the tie-in. Going back to executive director of Raw, Moss getting called up. Both backstage segments really worked, and they just made for entertaining television. So I thought they were good. 
yeah, Heyman doing the same thing to both was uh, very funny. I I, I like that. Um, I can I continue to like. I'm I'm really liking what's going on with Theory. Um, and like we said, it has nothing to do with the Bobby Lashley stuff. But you know, since getting this briefcase, is he a guy who can go out on the mic and handle himself in various situations? He's he's done a lot of different mic situations so far, and he's done a great job in all of them. And he obviously, has. the easiest one is, is working next to Paul Heyman. But um, he's he's been carrying himself well. In, in his, I think his stock is is indeed going up a bit since the briefcase. Yeah, I, I think he went the easiest mic situation with Paul Heyman, and then he may have had the toughest that he's had yet on Raw with the what chance. We'll get to that in a little bit. And mm-hmm. He handled that remarkably well as also. So. Yeah, I mean, you got to give the guy credit where it's due. So let's keep going on SmackDown. We had Theory versus Moss, the, the match we just mentioned. Commentary kept putting this over as both of them being two really big future superstars. And that's great. That's what they should be doing. Yes. Except one of them is named Madcap Moss. So let's fix that if you want to make him a legitimate star. Real, real quick. One of them is named Madcap Moss. The other is His literally name named Theory. <laughs> right. And I'm, I, I wrote this down, but... There are the other big baby, young baby face is named Riddle. I don't understand why they went with these names. Yeah. If you if you want to look them up, you look up theory, you Google Riddle like you're not getting the wrestlers. Considering WWE changes these names a lot of times for awareness purposes and unique stuff. I remained baffled that they've changed the name to theory. It is not even a joke. Think about this. OK, on in one column, you have theory, madcap and Riddle. In another column, you have Austin Theory, Riddick Moss, and Matt Riddle. How much better are yeah. there those three names? They're so much better. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, even if and I know Austin was his real name, so they wanted to so say have, you know, instead of that backstage segment with Vince being like, I hate Austin, you're not I'm not calling you that anymore. Say, okay, now I'm Adam Theory or Aaron Theory, or like just pick another A name. Just just yeah. change the name. Like give him a different first name. It is absurd these names and again when you're trying to say these are your future stars well great but they're named theory and madcap so whatever anyway let's get back to what actually happened Uh, there was a spot early where moss averted disaster with theory on his shoulders a really good veteran save moss did the toss fall away slam later and he ran into the steps when theory leapfrogged him outside moss pounced him and hit a spine buster for a near fall there were very loud theory sucks chants Moss avoided the rolling dropkick with a full-on running shoulder tackle. Then he pounced Theory off the apron. Theory crawled away from him, grabbed the briefcase, and beat him with it for a disqualification in 12 minutes. Theory crowed after the bell, leading Sami Zayn out in an arm sling to say that his claim of becoming champion is disrespectful to Reigns and the bloodline. Zayn strongly recommended Theory apologize. Theory said, what the hell are you going to do with one arm to stop me? And then the Usos music hit. They came up and backed up Sami Zayn. That backed Theory up into Moss, who lawn darted his ass into the post and threw him over the barricade. So I was a little bit mixed on this because, look, the match was super entertaining and it was cool Mm -hmm. to see something fresh with two young guys fighting each other. But the DQ was so absurd and, and the same thing happened on Raw. Just let Theory beat Moss here. I'm glad they are booking Moss strong. I'm glad they believe in him. That's cool. But the guy can lose a match to your money in the bank briefcase holder. He's not going to get hurt with a distraction type of finish or something like that. Just let Theory win here. However, the post-match was extremely well done. 
Sammy being injured explains why we haven't seen a lot of him recently. I have been wondering about that. And of course, that's a massive shame because Sammy has been incredible in his current role. It was also the first time, though, it really felt like he was an extended bloodline member and the honorary Us, given the Usos literally came out and had his back. So if you just throw away the DQ, which I'm happy to do, everything else here was really good and entertaining. Definitely. I love this match. Like you said, it felt fresh. It felt fast. It felt violent. Like Madcap Moss was throwing theory around, hitting them hard. Like it, you could feel it. I was like, I was really into this. I was like, man, this is good stuff here. I think Moss looks great. And then the DQ just like, ugh, you don't need to do that. Like Moss can have a great match like that and lose to the money in the bank briefcase guy and still have elevated himself. You know, like, like that was almost more interesting to me than any of the happy Corbin stuff, at least most of the happy Corbin stuff. Like I watched that and I was like, okay, Madcap Moss kind of has some here. It's a, it's a dumb name or whatever, but like the he athleticism, yeah. the strength, we've known he's always had that. Personality. Like, he, yeah, he, he like, I'm into this here. Like he can lose and you can still be like, he's moving his way up and stuff like that. So the DQ was annoying. WWE is on a rampant DQ and count out uh, run at the moment to try to protect everybody. And then the post-match, yeah, like it almost felt like a face move with the Usos coming out to protect Sami Zayn, even though they're all heels. But like you kind of felt, you always just kind of felt bad for Sammy. Like when Kevin Owens said, they're not really your friends and stuff like that. And you like legit felt bad for him. So for it to then happen, you're happy for him. And Theory's a heel. So like it kind of all made sense. And I don't like obviously the Usos and Sami Zayn, I don't think they're, faces or anything moving forward but like it worked like that was that was a really fun way to do that so i i really like this whole thing other than other than the dq everyone gets cheered against theory like he is a yes magnet yes. and it's working it like it's what they are doing and i i said this on the podcast everyone was so angry about theory winning the money in the big briefcase you and i liked it we didn't it wasn't our preferred winner but we both liked it when it happened at Money in the Bank. And we liked what we saw on that following Rob. What did we say? We said on this podcast, it's not go away heat. It's legit heat. People mm -hmm. hate this guy because he's Vince McMahon's picked guy. They think he's too young to have the opportunity. All the reasons, you know, it's it's legitimately working. And, it, and it's working to such a point that the Usos and Sami Zayn, both heels, are getting cheered against him. Now, that's not all from Theory. Let's move over to Raw and what happened next with him. So he had a match scheduled against AJ Styles. Theory repeated his SummerSlam plan. He got a ton of really, really loud what chants. He called Dolph Ziggler pathetic for his attack last week when Styles' music hit. Styles said if Theory ends up winning anything at SummerSlam, he'll be the first in line to take it from him. Styles got really loud face chants coming out of this. He said the locker room isn't jealous of Theory. They think he's a jackass. Theory compared his quick rise to Styles him toiling in the indies for all those years, and Styles decided to knock some respect into him with a shot to the face, and then Ziggler entered and sat ringside. So Theory shoved Ziggler outside after a few minutes into the match. There was obviously good wrestling here. Theory escaped the calf crusher with the ropes and dropped Styles on the announce table. With the referee's back turned, Ziggler super kicked Theory's head off to a nice pop. I do think Ziggler has the best working super kick in the entire business right now. It just... The snap on it is so cool. Uh, Theory sold it like absolute death. 
he first was on the ground for like eight seconds. Then he stumbled around and got counted out, re-entering the ring at 11. After the bell, AJ hit Styles Clash to stand tall. So again, just like on SmackDown, everything was great except the finish. Another Mm -hmm. fucking countout. What is going on this summer with WWE and countouts? There's like at least one every show, and it feels like there's two every show. They're doing it so frequently. Ziggler snapped Theory's head off his neck with that super kick. Why not let Styles catch him rolling inside with a phenomenal forearm and get the one, two, three? You have Theory beat Moss on SmackDown. You have Styles beat him clean on Raw. What's the problem with that? There's none. There's nothing demonstrably worse about Styles beating Theory than Theory losing via countout and then taking the Styles clash anyway. It just doesn't make sense. The promos between Theory and Styles were really strong and the match was Mm -hmm. good and the Ziggler element was good. So I'm giving it a good, but holy shit, Chris, WWE makes this more difficult than it needs to be. You mentioned it earlier, but Theory handling the what chance and stuff like that, like that is one of the, that is one of the tests you have to pass, in my opinion, is when the crowd's not really interested and they're just going to watch on everything. How do you handle that? Do you change up your cadence if you're a face to try to get them past it? If you're a heel, do you lean into it and stuff like that? In theory, handle that masterfully. Like, like that's exactly what you want from a future top guy. So he continues to impress there. Match was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, the finish was stupid. Like, just just let the guy get a win and let the guy get a loss. Have him try to cheat against AJ and it backfires on him and he loses. You know, like, like or, so it's not like he looks, he, it's not like he looks weak. He, look, he instead looks dumb or something like that. Just like, I don't understand what these, these finishes, these DQs, these countouts, we're just, we're doing them all the time now. And they don't mean anything when it's, it's happening. Like, it's got me, it's got me. Missing the 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 two out of three falls days, you know, like just <laughs> WWE goes WWE just goes to these verdicts sometimes mandates where it's just like nah we, nobody can lose normally we just we got to do this for everything and then suddenly suddenly none of it means anything when you do that so just very very strange theory is doing a great job I think theory versus AJ Styles would be or would have been a much better a match. great SummerSlam match yep. You know, the young guy against the future champion and like have Theory get a win there. Like that, mm-hmm. that's that's how you elevate Austin Theory. Instead, you're doing weird ass countouts on Monday Night Raw and he's taking the Styles Clash anyway. I just I don't get the plan. And he's fighting Bobby Lashley again after just losing yeah, the title. I don't understand the plan, but Austin Theory himself is doing a very good job. So everything you just said was nails. And yes, WWE it makes its product more difficult to watch by not giving legitimate results in matches when the legitimate results would not hurt anyone. AEW is a great example where we criticize AEW plenty, okay? But they they are a great example of a organization where they let finishes happen. And when mm-hmm. they happen, they don't even hurt the person who loses. Yes. That's the point. Everyone is built so strong that it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters whether you win or lose, but it doesn't matter long-term. It doesn't kill you just because you lost one match. WWE thinks if they have Theory lose a match via pinfall, it's going to hurt him. Well, here's another thing. If you don't want that to happen, don't book him in matches because he has a match with Lashley coming up at SummerSlam. I have to assume he's going to lose that 
via maybe tap out with the hurt lock or pinfall or something. So they're saying, hey, if he's going to lose there, we don't want him taking, you know, TV losses as well. Well, okay, number one, have him beat Madcap Moss. And number two, don't book the AJ Styles match if you don't want him to lose. Just don't do it. There's other people. Let other people wrestle on your show. He doesn't need to wrestle. The AW point. Wheeler Utah got over huge by losing. Losing. John Silver can have a competitive match against CM Punk and people are into it. Like you can get people over. You can elevate people by losing, by having good wrestling matches. By coming really close. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh man, like Madcap Moss and Austin Theory. Great match. Both guys look awesome. All right, Madcap Moss won, but hey, I got to pay attention to this guy. He looks pretty good. Instead of they just got to beat you over the head with this guy didn't lose. So he's fine. You know, like it's just it's it's trust your audience to kind of read a story instead of just blatantly kind of just hitting over the head with it. Exactly. And one last thing before we move off theory, theory is currently feuding with or interacting with all of these people ready for this. Bobby Lashley, Dolph Ziggler, AJ Styles, Madcap Moss, the bloodline. So Roman Reigns and the Usos and Paul Heyman and Sami Zayn and Brock Lesnar. He interacted with him on raw two weeks ago. He's getting a ton of heat. He's all over both shows. This is what you want the Money in the Bank briefcase holder to do. It's working. And for all the shit that we just gave WWE for maybe not letting him win matches clean or lose matches clean, whatever the case, what did I see? I've been saying it for a long time. This is what the briefcase is all about. They are using it properly. Now, if it gets cashed in at SummerSlam and then it doesn't exist, well, you know, four weeks after it was awarded, then I'm going to have my own criticisms of it there as well. Yes. Um, but but for now, for the first four weeks or three weeks that this briefcase has existed, they're doing exactly what they are supposed to do historically with the Money in the Bank winner. Yes. Yep. It's been good so far. All right. Let's move on. We'll stay with the bloodline here. We had Angelo Dawkins against Jimmy Uso on SmackDown. This was the main event of the show. Dawkins hit a spinning elbow and his double underhook spinning neckbreaker for a near fall. Jimmy ran into the referee with Dawkins getting an uncounted five count on a roll up. Then Jimmy hit a super kick with no one to count. Dawkins caught Jimmy with a Spinebuster-style Liger Bomb for the win, despite Jimmy's right shoulder clearly being up the entire time. All four guys yelled at Charles Robinson. Charles Robinson, by the way, veteran referee, doesn't make mistakes unless it's, you know, planned in kayfabe, right? But Charles Robinson, uh, while Sammy on commentary said he should referee the tag team match at SummerSlam. And I will admit, when Sammy kind of said that, I thought to myself, well, it's, I feel kind of stupid, Chris that I never thought about Sami Zayn being the one to referee. Wasn't he a referee not long ago in something? I don't know, but not for their feud. Like it, it no. It seemed like, yeah. oh yeah, of course, the, the heels, you know, Adam Pierce and WWE officials will give them a heel referee and it'll be Sami Zayn. Like it, it made way too much sense when they were talking about it on commentary. And I thought that was a nice little swerve because Adam Pierce then entered to announce the special guest referee for the match at SummerSlam is going to be... Jeff Jarrett, except Jeff Jarrett did not appear. The show ended with all four guys beating the shit out of each other in a brawl. There was a very short video package for Jeff Jarrett. So the match was fine. The whole thing was about the special guest referee angle and the booking was fine. It advanced the story. The Jarrett announcement was fine. He's not my ideal choice, but SummerSlam's in Nashville. I don't know how I didn't see it coming. It's very obvious that you would have Jeff Jarrett at SummerSlam in Nashville. But it was still a really lackluster announcement. First, the Jarrett's the choice. But second, he didn't even appear on the damn show to like come out and like smile and 
do a turnaround and say, hey, here I yeah. am, get a pop in the moment. They just didn't do get him in the ring to break up the fight. Have him, you know, be involved in this somehow. Instead, we don't even see him at all. The whole point of having a special guest referee is to have someone who's a former wrestler that can get in there and stop a fight. And yet these guys are just brawling. So I maintain, Chris, that bringing in a non-referee to improve officiating instead of using a more senior official, it's really stupid booking. But this is going to be a really big match. Jarrett will probably get a really big response in Nashville. And it definitely leads me more to believe that we are going to get a title change with a really big face pop at SummerSlam. So for all of those reasons, I'll say good here because this was not bad, but it did leave a lot to be uh, desired. Did you see Jeff Jarrett on the Broken Skull sessions? I have not seen that yet. Very good episode. Highly recommend it. A lot of Jeff Jarrett talking about coming up the business and stuff like that. And like he started as like a referee, like as a kid and stuff like that and, and doing those kinds of things. And I feel like there's such an opportunity, you know, it could have been in that moment. It could be the next time we see Jeff Jarrett to have him like talk about his whole history in the business and why he'd be a good special guest referee. It's not just like, oh, we got a guy. He's going to be the referee because like you said, Charles Robinson is like the top ref that they have. I thought it worked, you know, with with the knockout, with kind of Charles Robinson having to do it after getting hit. And so it, it made sense. But like have Jeff Jarrett explain like why he's going to be a good special guest referee, hype him up along with everything else. I, I, I think that would work. So it was weird that Jeff Jarrett did not show up in the moment. <laughs> like, here's your special guest referee. Jeff Jarrett's music hits. He comes out. He waves in the crowd. We go home. Like, that's that's normally how you do it. It was a weird way to do it. I agree that this kind of makes me think that Street Profits are going to win and, and kind of get that moment with Jeff Jarrett and what have you. We will see. We'll, we'll talk about that in the Ultimate Preview next week. Um, I'm excited to see Jeff Jarrett. Like, he, like he, he's been around for so long. He's got to... He, he, you know, from TNA to Global Force Wrestling, the dude has just always been in the business and cannot quit pro wrestling. And again, that conversation with Stone Cold was, was really interesting. And one other thing about Jeff Jarrett. Did you see the most recent uh, build to the Ric Flair last match? Yes. So Ric Flair's last match, which is happening Sunday after SummerSlam in Nashville at a Jim Crockett promotion show, which I don't even know how that is happening. Um, it's going to be it, everyone, I think, thought the, with given the promotion, it was going to be a one-on-one -on -one match. But obviously and smartly, it's not. It's going to be Ric Flair and his son-in-law, uh, Andrade El Idolo, against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, of course, who does the incredible Ric Flair uh, impersonation and did it in TNA yes. when Ric Flair was over there with him. So that officially will be Ric Flair's last match. And so they, they put out a video for this match, uh, Ric Flair, a day or so ago. And it involves Jeff Jarrett and I think Jay Lethal just like beating the shit out of Ric Flair in the parking lot. And Ric Flair is covered in blood. It is insane. Is it I new? Like it's worried. new from like recently, like this year? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, it came for, out like, like yesterday. Like for this match? Today. Okay, okay. Yes, yes. It is a storyline of Jeff Jarrett like beating the crap out of Ric Flair. And he's like, I used to love you and stuff like this. And Ric Flair is a bloody mess at the end of this video. <laughs> it's on Ric Flair's YouTube channel if you, if you go watch it. But they are going all out for this match. I really hope Ric Flair is okay and survives this. And again, Jeff Jarrett, just like he is an absolute pro wrestling 
sicko like he's just he's always going to be involved in liquid pro wrestling and he'll be doing a special guest referee at SummerSlam, and then rick flair's last match the next day it's uh, it's gonna be quite a weekend for good old double j it is uh it's gonna be the weekend of jeff jarrett which is certainly not what i expected about a week ago but um that is also also a couple weeks ago WWE announced like all their new hires or something like that and they put up graphics for everybody like you're working in in, 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 in all these different fields whatever not just wrestlers but just in the company and then jeff jarrett said jeffrey jarrett like director of events or something he's, like that. Uh, it looks so he's senior vice president of live events so not yeah it, not it was like SmackDown, so... but like the live touring like the wwe yeah, live yeah, shows yeah. the house shows it was a... he's the senior vice president of those now yeah it was yeah. just so funny to see jeffrey jarrett like welcome to wwe like he's just a new employee like in the cafeteria or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of Jeff Jarrett going on right now. So yeah, like a lot, yeah, that's a lot of J E double F J A double R E double T. That's double J. Jeff Jarrett, and this is where we are in 2022. So let's keep going. The profits on Raw were excited. Speaking of about Jeff Jarrett being the guest referee, they guaranteed they would leave Nashville as the new champions. Omos and MVP interrupted their catchphrase. MVP mocked them and said he wasn't able to wrestle, but. Hey, Omos, why don't you go ahead and fight Dawkins on the show? Off the bat, this seemed like a total lose-lose booking, given Dawkins is about to challenge for a title, and Omos has not been beaten one-on-one by anyone other than Bobby Lashley. Uh, the Usos then pumped Omos up in gorilla position, saying they know he's going to take out Dawkins, and Ford got Dawkins all hype uh, in gorilla also. The Usos were ringside for the match, so we had Dawkins against Omos. Dawkins got chucked across the ring before going on a run that had Omos kind of on his heels a little bit. The referee caught MVP tripping Dawkins for a disqualification. Adam Pierce came out right away and made a tag team match, even though MVP was in a suit. So we had the Profits against Omos and MVP. Omos caught Ford flying and pressed him. Ford landed on his feet and got a few shots in before being booted to hell. Dawkins threw MVP into the Usos at ringside. The Profits then double teamed Omos with super kicks and Ford hit a huge frog splash for a one count. Then the Usos interfered for a disqualification with Omos chokeslamming both Profits in the end. Look, if SmackDown left a lot to be desired and was barely a good, this left even more to be desired and was clearly bad. I hate this. I hate this crap. Stop. Stop with the crap. I mean, we literally got not one, but two disqualification finishes in a single segment. Two in one segment. That is almost as bad as it gets. Later, I'll tell you what really is as bad as it gets. Do not book matches if that is how you are going to finish them. Just do a face-to-face with an Omas attack. If you're going to book Dawkins and Omas and do a DQ, which was probably a good idea because neither of them should lose, and then you're going to schedule a match with MVP. Why would you not have MVP take the fall? What is the problem with MVP wearing a full suit, losing to the Street Profits? There is none. Let them lose and then let the attack happen. This was a complete waste of time. It was barely entertaining. Completely unlike what we got on SmackDown. So as I said, bad. Bad. And this is, again, what we mean by nobody having much momentum going into SummerSlam because it's not like the Street Profits are racking up wins. Usos were coming for you or the Usos try to interfere and they they foil it. 
and and Street Profits are like, we're coming, we're coming. Like, it's just, we're getting DQ finishes and weird stuff with Omas and MVP two weeks out from SummerSlam. Like, there's no sense of any of the stuff. The people involved did a great job with what there was. MVP actually wrestling in a suit was very funny. Omas kicking out of one out of the out of the frog splash worked for me. And in, in, in Montez sold it well. But overall, the booking around everything is, is a problem. And it, it's been the issue the last few weeks is that the, the good effort being put forth by the wrestlers is being overshadowed by nonsensical storytelling or lack of storytelling and booking. So it's just like, this was bad, and it completely didn't need to be. Again, just like the theory thing, just like, let things happen. You're like, they're, they're just, they're overthinking and doing one or two too many things instead of just letting the story play out simply the way it was laid out. It's just, it's a mess. Absolute mess. Let's move away from this to the women for a little bit. Becky Lynch was the first active wrestler we saw on Raw. That's a distinction I'm making for a reason. We'll talk about that later. She was dressed as Lilu from Fifth Element, which I thought was pretty cool, and ranted with a train-themed promo about how she's going to come out on top after her downward spiral. Then she said the winner of the women's championship match will face her for the title at SummerSlam. Bianca Belair put herself over for bouncing back from her title loss last year to take the strap off Lynch at WrestleMania. Carmella called herself a badass with a great ass and said Belair got counted out on purpose before the heels beat Belair down two on one with Lynch hitting a manhandle slam. So that pre-match attack allowed Belair to work from under during the match, which was nice. It was just a little bit different. So we did get a Raw Women's Championship match, Belair and Mella. Uh, Lynch distracted Belair early. Mella threw her into the timekeeper's area to try to get a count out. Belair flew outside and took a header into the steel steps for an eight count. Belair caught Mella flying for a really high effort vertical suplex. Then she caught her for a KOD and the win in 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Not as good as last week's match, but we had a clean finish. So in a way, better. Uh, Lynch grabbed the title after the bell and disrespectfully dropped it at Belair's feet before leaving. There was also a really long extended video package later in the show promoting the match, which they didn't know was official until like 8.45, yet they had a five-minute promo package ready for them to fight at SummerSlam. Why not save I'm fi- that? I'm, I'm fine with that. Why not save that for I'm a just, week? That's ridiculous. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm glad we got it. I'm fine with it. Okay, but well, whatever. There, there wasn't anything exactly wrong with this per se, but it didn't really hit for me at all. Becky's promo was probably one of her worst ever. Apparently at some point they made a rule that the title could change hands via countout in the match. I never heard them say that. So I'm not exactly sure where that came from, but other people apparently knew that was the case. Mella trying to get a countout win after criticizing Belair for being counted out last week was absurd. And then we get a Belair Lynch rematch, which sure, it's going to be great. It's going to be an awesome match on the show. But because of the Naomi situation, the Rhea Ripley situation, it just feels like Lynch never stopped being a contender for the title despite her downward spiral. Remember when WWE did John Cena's worst year ever, but he still basically won every match that he was in? That's Becky Lynch's downward spiral. How Mm -hmm. downward is it if you never actually hit rock bottom? And she never did. She was never distanced enough from the championship picture. What they should have done is laid that out for an entire year leading into what we uh, anticipate, I almost said participate, but anticipate being a match against Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania in Los Angeles. That is how you end a downward spiral. But just getting a match four months later against the person you lost the title to 
without ever really being out of the picture, that ain't it. So I'm going to be excited for the match at SummerSlam, but right now it's just whatever. And there's really only one more week for them to try and build like any type of fresh storyline around this. Right now, there's no storyline. It's just Becky, downward spiral, now she's number one contender again. There's nothing with them outside of what the build was for WrestleMania. That's why you like the video package so much because everything that was important in terms of their feud happened prior to April, not from April to mid-July, which is where we are now. So I'm still giving this a good because the match was fine and the booking overall was relatively okay. It wasn't bad, but I mean, it's just, it's lackluster. It leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, it it was good. Um, Bianca again, catching Carmella remains insane and should be the thing. I said it last week. It didn't happen because she lost free account, but that that's the move you pull out to win a pay-per-view match. Like, holy crap, look, Bianca did this thing. Boom, she wins. Like, that that's how it should end. Doesn't. Whatever. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited to watch Becky Bianca because it's Becky Bianca, but there's no, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. Like, is Becky, like, Becky's on the chart? Like, again, Bianca's the champion. She's not the underdog anymore. You, you, you can't, it's, it's not about getting revenge for last year. And it's also not being built up as, Rock versus Austin, two heavyweights, you know, clashing. It's just, it's kind of nothing. And so they're going to have to spend the next couple of weeks adding to that. Again, the video package helped because the WWE video package team is among the best that there is. So it was good, but like there's, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. You say that there's one week left. There's one episode of Raw. That's it. One week left. Yeah. That's so the, and that's the problem. So what, they dragged yeah. this Carmella thing out. Like it was one thing for Carmella to replace Rhea Ripley at Money in the Bank. They didn't want to go with Lynch, obviously. And they didn't want to, I guess, waste the Alexa Bliss bullet or go with someone else. All of that's okay. But once that was over, to continue the Carmella storyline, it wasted time that they could have been using to have a four-woman tournament to determine a number one contender. Becky wins it. She ends her downward spiral. She's antagonizing Bianca Belair the entire time. They could have really made this into like a, a version two or a part two of their storyline or, or a part yeah. 1.5 even. Instead, it was all Carmella based and you just knew at the end of it, Becky was going to fight her. So it was yeah, just I, also, I also didn't love Beyond, Becky coming out and saying the winner faces me. That was the first time we found that out, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it wasn't that was, her match with Oscar was not a number one contender match. She said it should be, and it, but and it was it, two it weeks. Wasn't. It was like two weeks ago. Yeah, L- yeah. Last week so, she goes, "Hey, yeah, you know, Belair's. Or I think it was Belair or Lynch. I forgot. You know, I, this doesn't make me number one contender, but I want a title shot. Well, why doesn't Adam Pierce announce that backstage? Like, it, it was very weird. Why wasn't she campaigning for it? I don't. I don't know. The whole look. Just look. We, they announced Brock Roman last man standing like on Twitter or whatever. The, B, the Becky announcement determining this match didn't make sense. I'm pretty sure Riddle Rollins was announced via Twitter right before Raw for the first time. Mm, no, correct. I don't think that's true. They announced it on. Like, okay, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. T- today, uh, last night, you mean? I think they. I think that match was literally announced on television the first time. Yeah. I, I'm saying this week. You're saying this week was the first yeah. time they announced it. This Monday. Yeah. Okay. They 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 tweeted it before the show because I saw it. 
And I was like, oh, oh I, right. did I miss something here? This I is happening. So then, yeah. So again, there's just, there's no inconsistency. The announcement of a match is supposed to be a big thing. Like, we're having the match. Like, you get the crowd direction. Like, that's part of the story. The match becoming official, the match happening is part of the story you try to tell. And they just throw it away all the time. And it really takes away from how you feel about a story. And this is another would say, example of that. Just, uh, sorry, I would say it doesn't always need to be, but it can be and should be at least somewhat often. And the vast like, majority like, of the time here, it's not. Yeah, it, it should be used as a storytelling device. Instead, we just get Becky revealing it two weeks after we thought she did or didn't. Brock, Brock Roman becoming last man standing should be an announcement it, it, like it, something leading to it. And we're just, we're not getting that with a lot of these matches. Right. Like, and it just, it take it takes away from it. Even when Lesnar squared off with Reigns and basically said, I want another title match. WWE could have announced on Twitter, Reigns Lesnar booked for SummerSlam. Tune in to SmackDown on Friday to learn the stipulation. Yeah, sure. And then they unveil the stipulation. You have Reigns come out. Brock, I'm going to put you down for good. Not just for the 10 count. I want you out of this business. I want a last man standing match. Boom. Nice promo. Interesting. Boom. Paul Heyman's delivering it. Everything's story. good. Instead, they there's just, a story. They just, and there's a story for the match. Exactly. He's going to put him down for good. No Roman. I'm going to take the title off of you. And I'm going to take you. You, you, you want to be on the island of relevancy by yourself. I'm going to make you live there permanently. You know, I'm going to take you down. Like that is, this is off the cuff shit that you and I are saying right now. And it's better than just announcing it on Twitter. Which didn't make any sense. Yeah. So yes, you made yeah. a very good the, point. The, annou- the announcement of the match is is part of the story. And even with Becky Bianca, the inconsistency, the uncertainty of the last couple of weeks took away from the moment and what, what, what it could have been. Absolutely. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, Liv Morgan fought Natalia in a championship contenders match on SmackDown. It started noticeably slow. Natalia wasn't really able to keep up with Liv. Um, but then she seesawed her off the ring apron into the post and things did pick up. Liv had a great counter of a discus clothesline, but they kind of botched it. Natty hit a German suplex for a two count. Liv escaped Natty on the ropes, but ate a Liger bomb for a near fall. Natty then used the ankle lock, but Liv flipped her into the middle turnbuckle, hitting a code breaker and then oblivion for the win in 10 minutes. Her AR graphic was used after the bell, which was a little bit different. Usually they use it before the match. And then Kayla Braxton gets into the ring and asks Liv why her victory over Natty was less dominant than Ronda Rousey's win last week. First of all, what's with Kayla Braxton starting <laughs> shit in the ring? Like, I don't, I don't hate the idea of like a journalist asking tough, provocative questions, but these questions are like, hey, Street Profits, I heard you guys hate each other. What's up with that? Hey, you, you aren't as dominant as Ronda Rousey. Well, let me tell you why she wasn't as dominant as Ronda Rousey, because WWE booked Ronda Rousey to beat Natalia, who she fought for 14 minutes on a pay-per-view premium live event, in a two-minute match five days later. That's why it wasn't as dominant. I mean, it just, it just didn't make any sense. So, Kayla, calm the hell down. WWE's use of Kayla, calm the hell down. Uh, Morgan <laughs> said she knows that she's an underdog at SummerSlam, even as champion, but she's going to walk out with the title. This was the first match on SmackDown this Friday. It was refreshing, Chris, to actually get wrestling after last week's fest. This match was longer than the total live wrestling we saw on SmackDown two weeks ago. This match alone, that tells you all you need to know about the show prior. The match wasn't that noteworthy. 
Liv looked solid again in the ring. She remained over. The champion won a championship contenders match. She is the champion. They're still building her. So this was very good. Uh, not very good. This was good. Yes, it was good. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking they maybe heard your rant last week about the lack of wrestling on the show. And decided there was a lot more wrestling to. on SmackDown. Like make, way make that clear yeah. this week. Um, yeah, th- this was good. The, the, the only other thing I'd point out about the interview with Kale Braxton is that Liv was like, I've always been the underdog and she's still painting herself as the underdog here. And like, I get it because it's Ronda Rousey, but you're the champion now. To, to, to me, you, you just, you can't really take that angle when, when you are the champion. It, instead, the angle should be like, I'm, I'm going to prove it wasn't a fluke win you know, stuff like that. I, I think you can lean it. And she kind of did that, but like lean into that, that being the story, like can live actually do it or was it a fluke? Like mm-hmm. that's the story going in. The problem is if Liv Morgan is going to lose, you don't want that story because then you're going to say it is a fluke. if <laughs> She does lose. And we'll get into that on the, the ultimate preview next week. So, but no, this, this was definitely good. Liv Morgan gets a win. And it, it, a good, solid win moving forward into SummerSlam. That's what you need to do with new champions. So definitely good. Yeah, I, I do want to get into depth on this, but, you know, I, I should say I do want to get in depth on this. But we should save that for the ultimate preview because, man, I am so concerned about this match. More than anything else on the show, I am worried about this match. I put so much good stuff into the universe for Liv Morgan. I think everyone has. I'm not singling myself out. Uh, I don't want it to all come crashing down, you know, four weeks later. But let's keep going. We have more, uh, of course, on this show. Uh, Riddle joined the KO show as WWE announced a match between him and Seth Rollins at SummerSlam. Kevin Owens said he was absent because he went on a nature retreat to take a mental health break from the Ezekiel shit. KO appreciated Riddle's cool and calm nature, saying he no longer cared about Zeke. Then he got angry about Zeke. Then he calmed down again. KO said he dug Riddle's style. And while RK Bro was great, Bro KO could be incredible. Riddle said KO is historically a liar, and KO pointed out that Orton is the biggest snake in WWE history. So Riddle got in his face. Rollins's burn it down, um, you know, sound drop, I guess. False started. Riddle was like looking around. Then the theme actually played. Rollins attacked him from behind with a push into the ropes and a stomp to lay Riddle out. Then he cleared the ring and hit a second stomp to stand tall at the end. Corey Graves had this line. He said, uh, Rollins knocked all the malted hops and bong resin out of Riddle's skull, which was a great line and maybe indicative of the type of stuff that they can say with a TV 14 switch, even though there's still TV PG, uh, of course, for this episode. Backstage, Rollins said Riddle's stupidity was driving him insane and making Riddle arrogant. He pointed out how Riddle thinks Orton is his friend and how he turned down KO's help for SummerSlam. Zeke then shoved him for being a jerk and got in his face, which obviously led to a match. I'm just going to throw this all together, Chris. We can talk about it at the end. So we had Rollins against Zeke. Zeke had a new Titantron that basically featured comic book style text versions of his sayings, except Zeke has like two sayings. And I don't even know that he has that many. I think he just has one. Uh, Zeke caught a tope, throwing Rollins into the barricade in the post. Rollins dropped a knee over his head while on the top rope. Zeke hit a powerbomb after a few counters and then countered a springboard with a pump knee. Rollins caught him on the top rope with a superplex into a Falcon Arrow for a 2.5. Zeke escaped the pedigree. Rollins hit two rolling forearms and the stomp for the win. This was easily, easily Zeke Elias, his best match ever. Not even a question about it. I'm convinced Seth Rollins could get a three-star match out of me at this point. Me and Seth Rollins, 12 minutes in the ring. I don't even know that I could do that. I think we could get a three-star match. That's how good Seth Rollins is. 
I'm in 3.5 stars and a B for the wrestling. I loved how Zeke got legitimized in the loss, which is what we've been talking about all yes. show. Why can Zeke take a loss, but Mad Cat Moss can't? There's no explanation for it. They're exactly the same guy. One is on Raw, one is on SmackDown. Let them lose. There is no problem with an over babyface losing a match like this. The only frustration that I had is this was a rematch from two weeks ago, which was annoying. So overall, Chris, it would have been nice to hear Rollins share his problems with Riddle to his face, given that's the match. They have interacted, and it was clear this match was coming, but there's not really a strong storyline for it. Hopefully we get more of that next week. But it was great to see Owens back. I like the explanation for his absence. Plus the Rollins-Zeke match was strong, and the Rollins-Riddle booking may well steal the show at SummerSlam. So I did combine kind of two segments here. That's my fault. So good for the first half, the KO show. Good for the match. That's a double good. Yeah, de- definitely a good. I-, I feel like this is like the second time in a month or so that you said it was Zeke's best match ever. So he must yes, be improving true. Or, or doing better. He, he is a perfectly competent wrestler. A- another change, I don't think it was a change this week, but I just noticed it this week, is that he doesn't have the tassels anymore. Yeah, uh, he's on, moving on away from the it, ultimate warrior type of bullshit. It's, yep. it's just... It's just, well, I like the tassels. It stood out. It was different. It felt like something from the 80s. Like, everybody wore tassels back then. So um, he looks a little more plain without them, and I don't love it. Um, so this was fine. Ke- Kevin Owens made the comment about losing his best friend, Seth Rollins, like Riddle lost his best friend, Randy Orton. And then Seth came out, and again, I had puppies running around, so correct me if I'm wrong. Was there any interaction between KO and Seth, or did... Kevin Owens just bailed when Seth got in the ring. So Owens kind of bailed when he got in the ring. It was difficult to tell whether it was a setup with Owens helping him because backstage when Rollins had his promo, he basically said, you know, Owens, blah, blah, blah. We still have our problems or something like that. So it made it, it, it was tough to say if it was set up with Owens part of it or if Rollins took advantage of the situation. That was very tough to tell. Yeah. So my, my only question to get coming out of this is just like, what is Kevin Owens doing? Like he got a huge reaction. The return of the Kevin Owens show, people are into him. You know, he had the big WrestleMania moment and he's just kind of been floundering since then. Well, he's been and out. I mean, the guy's been injured and out of action. Like he, he had well the last two weeks for sure. Is he injured? Yeah. I, I was not aware so, if he was Yeah. So, injured. so he was set to finish the Zeke storyline with the money in the bank. Um, qualifier match so it's been he's been out for th- uh three weeks right. maybe he's four four weeks he's been out yeah. for four weeks uh so he was that was storyline was going to conclude never got the chance and he has been out with a minor injury so he's been okay. gone a month they had to they basically in this segment which i appreciated he's like look i take, took a mental health break i'm over zeke now that storyline's done we don't have to worry about that yeah and he's right. back and healthy and ready to do stuff. The problem is he's back two weeks before SummerSlam. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a storyline for him. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they do run back uh, Owens and Zeke at SummerSlam just as an extra match. Hopefully not. But it does seem like they're progressing forward. I don't blame them for the Owens situation. It's kind of bad timing with the injury. That's just, it's a little different. No, it, it, yeah, it, I, I was not aware he was actually hurt. Again, I stay away from the dirt sheets. Mm-hmm. I, I knew, obviously I knew he was gone. If he was hurt, that's different. That's fine. Okay, so over on SmackDown, we had a Drew McIntyre segment. Let me preview it that way. As McIntyre made his ring entrance, WWE promoted Sheamus and the number one contendership match we did not get last week. Instead, Ridge Holland was the name announced when the Brawling Brutes came out. 
And Michael Cole twice called this a bait and switch by Sheamus. It's a bait and switch by WWE. Butch then <laughs> rang the bell for some reason. He got overexcited and grabbed the ring bell and rang it. Drew kicked out after a power slam at one. McIntyre then hit a Glasgow kiss and Sheamus's white noise falling with Claymore to beat Ridge Holland in three minutes. So two matches in consecutive weeks, Ridge Holland and Butch, total match time, four minutes and 30 seconds, just destroying these guys who are new, by the way, to SmackDown and should be getting built up. Let me start though with the positives. If you're not going to deliver a promoted match, doing the promotion and the match change all inside of a very tight four minute window on your show is far better than advertising it for an entire day and two hours of a show and then changing the main event. So while this was similar to last week, it was not nearly as bad. Also helping matters was they did not use COVID as an uh, absurd excuse, but that hardly saved the booking as they gave us no reason why Sheamus ducked out of the match this time. It just doesn't make sense. At this point, I hope the goal is to do the match at SummerSlam and actually put a number one contendership match on a major premium live event. But they could have just done that and scheduled Butch and Holland matches for McIntyre on the way to the big show. You do a Butch match, you do a Holland match, you do a contract signing, and then you have Sheamus and McIntyre at SummerSlam. So I would have gone ugly for this last week if it had been in this segment, but for this week, it was just bad. Uh, Again, you have, you know, Holland, you have Butch. Why are you not at least letting these guys go six, seven minutes, get some moves on McIntyre, try to build them up, and then let Drew crush them and win? It's very frustrating. Again, just do it like you said. All right, we're going to have Sheamus versus McIntyre, and on the way, we're going to have matches versus Ridge, matches versus Butch. They're going to go six, seven, eight minutes. It's going to be a banger. Everybody's going to look good coming out of it, and we move forward. They just they have to overcomplicate and simplify and dumb down these things by overcomplicating it with nonsensical stories and bait and switches and like who the who the hell cares? Like it has, has Drew been it's bad. has Drew been spending all day studying for Butch and he's surprised that he got Rich Holland. No, because we see matches get booked on the fly all the time on these on these wrestling shows. It's just like everything with with the, with the the brutes is just like it's just like way too much thinking instead of just doing simple stuff. It's like they're trying to book these people as cartoon characters instead of people, and it's just so tiring. Like it, the new day stuff, and now this. I'm just every time they come onto my screen, I just groan I because I know yeah. it's gonna it's just gonna be a ridiculous thing that happens instead of like. Hey, here's some awesome, big, strong wrestlers doing some awesome, big, strong wrestling stuff. It's not. We're going to get just nonsense. And it's and it's just it's just so dumb. Just have Drew McIntyre wrestle these guys and put on a great match. People will like that. By the way, we've it seen just, we've seen Ridge have OK matches in NXT and we've seen Butch already on SmackDown have really good wrestling matches because guess it's what? It's Pete freaking Dunn. Like, he can go. Because he's like, Pete Dunn and he's a really good wrestler. Yes. But they haven't booked, like, like you're right, cartoon characters is the best way to describe it. It's like he's a Tasmanian devil who you just keeps swatting away from you. And Ridge Holland is like the big, dumb muscle guy. 
who all you need to yeah. do is take out his knee and then you can kick his ass. Like these guys, they don't cut promos. They have no personality. I mean, I guess Butch does have no. a personality, but like they've they've actually been made worse in this trio. Whereas if you had yeah. brought them up individually, maybe they sink, maybe they swim, but they at least have a chance. There is no chance here. This is not getting over. The brawling brutes, like it's not a, the, the trio is not a bad idea. The execution is horrendous. Yeah. Give us Pete Dunn versus Drew McIntyre. People are going to go bonkers for Yes, that. let them go and wrestle for 12 minutes. Let Pete Dunn do really good work and then have Drew in the final two minutes absolutely kick his ass and get the win. Promote it's, him as a former not, NXT champion. It's not NXT UK champion. Yeah, it's not complicated. By the and way, you could even sell it as that. Drew McIntyre, former world champion, former NXT champion. Butch, he's a former NXT UK champion. Long yes. training, like... Oh man, like I'm excited for this. That's going to get people more interested in your show than whatever this is. Who who sees what is going on with the Brutes and it's like, oh, I'm interested in what's going to happen here. Nobody. Nobody. There is nobody. Because Sheamus is not going to win their match. And you know that. And you know Drew McIntyre is going to fight Roman Reigns to Clash at the Castle. Because they told us he was before going back on it. Look, I got, we got you know, to move on. You, know, move on. you could even say, hey, Drew McIntyre is really tough matches against those two guys. He gets his shit kicked out of him, but he wins at the end. He looks great. Is he going to be ready for Sheamus? He's been yes. getting beat up the last Correct. few weeks. Does he have enough juice left? Like, there's your story. Like, it's simple. Yeah, this guy's going through a ringer. This is because not he's, hard. Because he's had to wrestle 30 minutes of matches against Butch and Ridge yeah. Holland, and now he has to go in and fight the lead brawling brute. Is he going to be up for it? Does he have the stamina? Maybe he injures, maybe Butch twists his ankle during their match, or maybe yeah. Drew injures his knee at some point, or his shoulder. You give a reason why this is, is exciting. Maybe the third week they all beat him down going into SummerSlam. Instead, this is where we're at. It's him squashing people. It doesn't even make Drew look and, good. And, and, it doesn't even make Drew we, look we, good because Drew already no. is strong. Yes. And we didn't even mention, I mean, we talked about last week. At least they didn't have a sword shoot fire out of the turnbuckle system. Okay. So <laughs> they didn't use the sword, but fire did shoot out of the turnbuckles. They did the same yeah. pyro. Out of all of the pyro options that exist, and there are let's just make believe dozens. Why does he have Kane's pyro? Why does Drew McIntyre yeah. have Kane's pyro? It doesn't make I don't know. any sense at all. I, I don't know. Let us just, like all like WWE creative just it, like, I know Vince is a guy who makes these decisions at the end, but we need like a quality control guy at the end. To oh just be like, God, does this make sense? Like why show does this happen? I, I, yeah, I've, sure, right. I've had this rant before. They need a showrunner, someone who ensures yeah. that from week to week, month to month, storyline to storyline, everything fits together and makes sense. They don't have it. They've never yeah. had it. And it's it, it's the biggest issue in WWE right now. All yes. right, let's let's move on. We still have a good amount to talk about. Pat McAfee got a ring introduction from Michael Cole to open SmackDown, the opening of SmackDown and Raw this week. Both very odd, but for different reasons. So Pat got the introduction. Then Cole left the ring rather than interview him. McAfee apologized for being absent and forcing fans to listening to Corey Graves and bum-ass Corbin last week. He also had a great line about celebrating Shinsuke Nakamura the way he deserves to be celebrated, which is pretty cool. McAfee said he liked Corbin when they were teammates on the Indianapolis Colts, but ever since he's be become an insufferable douche in WWE. Corbin on the Titantron said he's a fighter, but McAfee just runs his mouth. Corbin said he can't come out there because he contracted something, maybe monkeypox, and showed uh. off an arm with a bunch of red welts on it. McAfee said Corbin is just allergic to being great, which was another good line. Then he ended the promo by welcoming Liv Morgan to the screen. So look, McAfee was obviously incredible. 
The guy does yep. such a great job hitting all the key angles in his promos. He even called out the TV 14 speculation that's been swirling mm -hmm. around just as part of what he was saying. The stark contrast between him speaking extemporaneously and Corbin's awful, awful scripted promo could not have been more obvious. And what the hell is with WWE referencing COVID-19 and monkeypox in consecutive weeks? Like, it, it, it's dumbfounding. I don't understand what they're doing. McAfee was fantastic. He was the vast majority of this segment. If he is in WWE long enough, he has a chance to be legendary on the mic. He really does. So this was an obvious good because of Pat McAfee. But holy shit, the Baron Corbin, happy ass Corbin, bum ass Corbin, whatever you call him, his half of this was dreadful. Yes, I I'm still giving it a good overall. I'm glad that they talked about their history together on the Colts. It's exactly what we said they need to get into. There is a history between these guys. Let's talk about it. So that was good. McAfee, look, the guy talks for a living now, and he's unsurprisingly very, very good at it. Crowd is is is, is on his fingertips every single time. And then the Corbin thing, yeah, like every Corbin promo is the exact same thing. It's him talking kind of sarcastically and dismissively and very scripted. And then you throw in the dumbass monkeypox reference, and it's just garbage. So I'm giving this overall a good. But, you know, it, it, it was like you said, it, it's a good contrast between trusting somebody to kind of do the do the proper things when they talk in McAfee and then getting what we got from Corbin on the mic. Two who, completely who, by different the way, strategies. Who, by the way, is very confident and capable on the mic. Corbin's really good. Like, yeah. Speaking, they just mm -hmm. they give him that canned bullshit. You listen to him in interviews when he did WWE backstage back in the day. Like so fucking he's good. interesting. Yeah, it's it's so frustrating. This is this is the exact type of guy that you don't need to script and just let him and Pat go. Let him bounce off each other. Get him in the ring together. And that's where we are. So just very, very frustrating. Um, Miz TV with Logan Paul was the main event of Raw. Miz showed the WrestleMania clip without his turn on Logan. So Paul, of course, showed it and then asked him twice if he would accept his challenge. Miz put Logan over for what he's done outside of WWE and said he's picked up wrestling really quickly, but he's not ready for a singles match where he can't be protected. Miz said Logan is a rookie who has to earn a match against him and denied his challenge again. Paul then put over what he's accomplished and said he'd even host a show better than Miz at next week's Raw at Madison Square Garden. So they're going to do Impulsive, which is the name of his podcast, uh, in-ring segment. Logan said uh, that's what he expected Miz to say to deny the challenge. And he called him a coward and got the crowd chanting tiny balls. Miz showed off his t-shirt, his new t-shirt that says massive balls and then accepted the challenge. All it took was for this guy who didn't want to fight to, hey, you got tiny balls. He's ready to accept the challenge. Paul dodged an attack and clotheslined Miz over the top rope. Uh, Champa then attacked Logan from behind. He escaped. Miz then ranted to end the show, but Logan had already left. He was already backstage. Miz was just ranting to a ramp with no one on it. So Look, say what you will about Logan being in WWE or having a singles match or whatever you want. This segment was extremely well done. That's it. Good. You, you didn't, by the way, we didn't even talk about the reaction to, to Logan Paul here. He got booed. We, we got to get into that. He got huge boos upon his entrance. And I'm like, how, how are they going to, this is not going to work as a face. But credit to him and credit to WWE for kind of how they structured things. He was getting cheered at the end of that. He he did he did enough generic babyface. The tiny balls thing. 
the crowd likes talking it. to the crowd. You know, you know, you you Miz Miz putting him over a bit. You know, being a little bit humble and Miz simply being so hateable that it worked. Now, week to week, is it going to work? Is it going to work in New York City next week? Is it a week overall? I I don't know, but like they made. And, and, and partly because Logan Paul is a very, very good talker. He like just like Pat McAfee, he's very, very good at this. And when you are very, very good at this, something like, "Hey, he should be a heel, but why is he a face?" It works a lot better than say Ronda Rousey as a heel trying to be a face because she's just not as she's just not very good at this. So this surprisingly worked very well. I thought we'd talk about this much earlier in the show because uh, this uh, I'm. I don't know. I, I'm still kind of weird about the whole thing, Logan Paul singles match and all that. But like, this worked way better than I expected it to, and I'm looking forward to the next time that Logan Paul is talking on my WWE screen. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah. Again, like him or not, the guy can talk, and he's athletic. And and though that's what wrestling is. It's about being able mm-hmm. to tell a story in the ring, which he can do. We saw that at WrestleMania. And being able to tell a story, not necessarily out of the ring, but without wrestling, which he can do on the mic as well. So it's tough to not praise it, right? And, and I'm not saying that we don't want to praise something that's good. But, you know, even if we don't love Logan Paul being in WWE, he's a wrestler. He is. He is what sports My, entertainment is about. Yeah, I guess the the, the, the photo they tweeted or, or Instagram posted of, of him signing that deal was like the most viewed they've ever had. Or there you go. On, on WWE social. So like. And he it, hits the demo so like, too. Yeah. It, it, and by the way, Logan Paul obviously worked as a face here in a way I didn't expect, but it also reminded me if he's that good and can kind of get himself into being a face, he would be an unbelievable heel. Yes. Like if you fully leaned into it, like he, he just did it at the WrestleMania match. And that was, that was the biggest booze of the whole weekend. Like if he sticks around, and decides to get into a heel persona, it's going to be incredible. All you need to do, like it's such an easy heel booking. All you need to do is you haven't beat Miz on this show, right? And now he has a win over a former WWE champion. So every major show, you have him come back, challenge a former WWE champion, challenge AJ Styles, challenge Kevin Owens, you know, challenge Seth Rollins. I'm not saying that. All those people should be relegated to only Logan Paul matches. What I'm saying is it's easy because every single time, all you need, hey, I've beaten the best. I beat a main eventer at WrestleMania, uh, someone who has main evented WrestleMania. I deserve a match against you. No, you don't, blah, blah, blah. And and you have ready-made two, three-week storylines to get him matches across. So he is way better as a heel. That does not work as a babyface. You know, he apparently reportedly told WWE, hey, I'm fine being a heel going into WrestleMania, but I want to be a babyface. And everyone wants to get cheered. But I think what people forget is not only is it easier to be a heel, it's better to be a heel. When you're a really good heel and you can draw that kind of reaction, that is the most exciting thing. So I hope the babyface thing with Logan Paul is just for SummerSlam and they, you know, change it. Same with Ronda Rousey. Like she's good as a face, like good enough. People will cheer for her. But she is great as a heel. Not that her promos are any better, but people like to boo her because because her promos aren't very good and things like that. And because some of her legitimate opinions in real life and personality in real life 
is what a heel is. So you mm-hmm. take WWE's taking people that just because they're celebrities, they're making them baby faces when really they should be heels. They're people that people want to boo. You want Bad Bunny to be a baby face? Yes, he should be a baby face. You want Pat yes. McAfee to be a baby face? Yes, he should be a baby face. Logan Paul is a heel. Stop trying to force it. It, it did work with the tiny ball stuff. You're right. But still, uh, the only other thing I want to say here before we move on, they just completely dropped AJ Styles' involvement. Like we thought they might be working to a tag team match, which was a way to get Logan over as a babyface. And I suppose Styles could come out next week and make a save during the that segment and either be at ringside with him or be in a tag match. I, I don't know. But what the hell is he? What are you going to do with AJ Styles at SummerSlam now? Nothing. They have no it, plans for it, him if it's not this. It feels like they changed their mind. It feels like they were going to do a tag match and then decided not to. I I, I don't know. But it, it really feels like they switched points. Like, what is Ciampa doing there now? Like, they made a whole thing about Ciampa being with Miz, and now it's... Okay. I guess the other I, thing I, yeah, they could I do... I, I guess the other thing they could do, Chris, theoretically, is they could have Miz beat Logan because of Ciampa's interference and then do the tag team match at Clash of the Castle. Yeah, I, I don't know how big Logan is in the UK, but yeah, that's possible too. But, he is. but for SummerSlam, for, for AJ Styles, I don't know. Do you just put him and Champa on the pre-show and let him go 15 minutes and tear it down? I, I don't know. It's extremely weird to not have AJ Styles doing anything. He's been, he, yeah. that's another guy who, like Kevin Owens, has just been floating out there he's for been there, a while. Though. He's been healthy and he's been active. Right. So, like, you know, the Edge thing happened and then the Judgment Day thing and that was it. And I don't know what he's doing, but it's AJ freaking Styles, man. It's he's crazy. a guy you can throw right back in the main event at any time you want. Oh, I'm sorry. We don't have champions on the shows anymore. So oh, well. Exactly. All comes back to that. Uh, let's Speaking of Judgment Day, let's move over to that. We had Rey Mysterio against Damian Priest. Priest guaranteed Dominic Mysterio would join Judgment Day on Raw and replayed the Edge double turn. Uh, there were piped in booze and then Rey's music cut off Finn Balor from speaking. The match began during commercial. Rey hit a seated senton and springboard crossbody for a two count, then a tornado DDT for another. Balor interfered when Ray went for a 619. Dominic stopped him. Ray then hit the 619 on his third try. The priest caught his seated senton and hit a razor's edge for a clean 1-2-3 over Ray Mysterio. After the match, they set up Ray for a concerto and then threatened Dom to join Judgment Day or else. So Dom ran into the ring, saved his dad, and agreed to join them. Then they basically said, too late, and hit him with a chair, Ray rolled out of the ring. Backstage, Balor and Priest called Dom a coward, saying Judgment Day will end the Mysterios for good at Ray's anniversary show next week on Raw. Uh, the Mysterios basically came back and said, no, you're not. <laughs> Their promo sucked. Uh, the finish was odd for the match in that Priest basically had to no-sell the 619 in order to be in position to catch the seated scent on, which Ray never uses in that spot. He always hits the frog splash. So the whole, that was just kind of weird. But it was pretty cool to see Priest hit the razor's edge and beat Rey Mysterio clean. I, I did think that was a good decision. And then they had a perfect setup, perfect, for Judgment Day to expand with Dominic joining them, which is an exciting angle that we thought would be interesting. And instead, they just chose not to do it. So now Ray has lost to Priest clean. Ballard doesn't need to beat him. Dom isn't in Judgment Day after three to four weeks of build. And Edge didn't even return to save a veteran and set up a SummerSlam match that we thought might happen. In other words, there was no point to any of this and seemingly no purpose to any of it going forward. Even if Edge returns next week, what is that, a five-day build? And who would he face? Like 
just Balor or would he team with Ray to fight Damian Priest and Balor? Would that make sense given the character that it looks like Edge is returning with? All of it feels forced. None of it makes a lot of sense. So I have to say bad. Maybe this was more disappointing than bad, but my grade is bad. Yeah, disappointing is a good way to put it. I'd put it on that good to bad mix. There were pieces I liked. I liked how Dominic was like, okay, fine, I'll join Judgment Day. Don't compare it to my dad. Like, and they said, nah, that's not how this works. Like, I actually like, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of funny. That makes sense. Like, they, they wouldn't want him to just reluctantly join Judgment Day. They want him to want to join Judgment Day. Um, so, so that was interesting. But again, correct me if I'm wrong if I missed something here. Why didn't they just finish the job in Concerto Ray? Like Ray like rolls out of the ring or whatever, and then they just kind of stand on the top of the ring and taunt him, and then that's the end of the segment. Like, well, the idea being why once you're not, outside of the ring, it's tougher to get him again. You know? I, I guess, but he was Ray was on his back, like he, he was out still. I just it was weird how they just stopped going for the concerto or whatever. Um yeah, ju- judgment day again. Edge turn was amazing. Everything everything since then has been a mess. Part of that is because Rhea Ripley's dealing with whatever she's dealing with, and so we don't see it anymore. But I, again, kind of no longer understand what the point of them is. I I thought we'd had a group here that was going to take what was theirs, that had been kept down by whatever, and now we're feuding with the Mysterios? Yeah, like Priest should be helping Balor get a U.S. title match against Lashley to take what's his. This is what I said... yeah, it's what yeah. I said from the beginning of Judgment Day, which was they need to wreck shop over everybody and want to be at the top. If their biggest goal here is to just upset Rey Mysterio, then I don't care. And I don't take him that seriously. Yeah. So my I in we, we got the anniversary show next week, so I don't know what's happening at SummerSlam. I assume we're getting something out of them. I don't know. Is it, is it going to be? Ray and a mystery partner and then Edge returns at SummerSlam, like we all suspect. I I don't really know. That combined with the Edge promos, it's it's weird. It, it, again, we're up against the clock here. We only got one episode of Raw left. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, don't forget, Edge and Ray Mysterio were tag team champions in WWE. Oh, were I, I was out of it at that time, so I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, you know, in 2002, they beat um Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, I, I believe, is, is who they beat. Um, okay. but they were tag team champions 20 years ago. So, like, there's a lot of things that you can connect here and have it make sense. But you should have already brought Edge back if you're going to tell that story. So, I, I mean, maybe they just want the Edge pop at Madison Square Garden on the go-home Raw for SummerSlam. And I get that to some degree if that's what they do. But, man, it's it's just the whole Judgment Day thing. It went from bad to worse. Then it got way better. And now it's back in like this bad category where it's just, it's kind of like going through the motions with people that they don't have stuff to do. But when I was talking about having people in the company who could challenge for time, they could be a tag team title challenger, that them as a team. Priest or Balor could be going after Bobby Lashley's United States Championship instead of Theory getting the match again. There's so many more exciting things that they could do that they're just not doing. Speaking of Edge, uh, a second version of the Edge vignette aired right after commercial break from this segment as if we needed the connection forced even further. And then later in the show, a third version aired showing The Undertaker's urn, Rey Mysterio's mask, and a bunch of other stuff. And it ended with someone writing in blood, I am coming to, in a mirror, on a mirror. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So that, you know, Raw, SmackDown, <laughs> kill you. Like I don't know what how how that's supposed to end, but I am coming too. Uh, so there you go. Uh, so again, every single thing in this completely points to Edge, as I mentioned before. I did think though this vignette out of the three was the best of them. So it was good. I mean, I don't know if we're grading it, but yeah, I. I, I have no grade. I All don't right. know. It was fine. Uh, Gunther backstage on SmackDown explained that he chopped Ludwig Kaiser last week because failure is unacceptable and losing has consequences. Kaiser apologized in German, but Gunther chopped him again ahead of his rematch with Nakamura next week. Hey, a bit of continuity. What a surprise. Uh, I'll buy into this. Short, sweet. It was a really good way to get the Intercontinental Champion on TV and continue explaining that storyline without putting him in a match. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was good. It gets me a little worried again that they're going to break them up, but it was good. Uh, New Day entered SmackDown, cosplaying as the Viking Raiders, calling themselves New Raid. Kofi Kingston gave Ivar a German accent, and Xavier Woods did a pirate voice for Eric for some reason. Kofi was wearing Yeezy slides, which was just a really funny look with the Viking type of getup. The Raiders said they are new and vicious, so they'll make New Day mangled and broken. New Day taunted them back leading them to the ring for a sneak attack by Jinder Mahal and Shanky. Then the faces danced as Jinder Mahal disapproved. So this went on way, way, way too long. But it actually wasn't that bad. Like, I love that the Raiders were brought back and looked dominant, but now that dominance is being wasted by a comedy gimmick. When the whole point of showing the comedy vignettes and then bringing them back seriously was to move them away from comedy, yet here they back are in the comedy. Nine times out of 10, I would go with bad for a segment like this. But the faces actually looked smart here by luring them to the ring for an attack. The whole thing was kind of fun. And we got a great sound drop for the show with Xavier Woods doing U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly. But the problem is WWE cut that out of the YouTube video and the Twitter video. So I haven't been able to cut the sound drop for the show. So if anyone out there can grab that sound drop from SmackDown and send me either the video or the audio, I will go ahead and put it on our soundboard. I don't have it right now. So because I don't have the ugly sound drop, I guess I don't really have a choice. I have to call this good. But I did actually, despite it being stupid, it was stupid. I I liked that the baby faces were smart in the end. I'm going to say good. I, I did not care about this at, at all. You know, New Day is another group that's just been doing nothing for a while and it's comedy or it's doing stuff with the brutes over and over. And I'm just I'm so bored of it. And I think nothing of the Raiders since they came back. I think the supposed seriousness, but really leaning into the Viking look is strange. I just this this was one of those segments that feels like it's geared toward kids and maybe the kids liked it. But just to me, I was just like, I don't care at all. New Day without Big E has really been slipping for a while now. Mm-hmm. And that's not all Xavier and Kofi's fault. Xavier had the King of the Ring run. Oh, it's Booking's good, fault completely, 100%. They're not in tag team title pictures. They're just out here doing gimmicks. And it's just not, and if you're doing gimmicks, it's not quite as good without Big E, who was very, very good at those. He, he, he who balances the seriousness with, with the funny stuff. It's just, it ain't clicking for me. I'm giving this a bad. I just, I don't care about this at all. And which is, which is again, ridiculous because the four people involved are very talented, but just Mm -hmm. we're literally doing cartoon characters again here. And I'm just, 
It's not my thing. I don't I don't care. If you're going to do cartoon characters like I don't know. I don't know. I just did not care for this. No, it's it, I mean it, it's not great. It's just not. I I thought this one was the best of the bunch, which is why I gave it good, but like I said, 9 times out of 10, I'm saying bad for this and you having that yeah. opinion is 1000% uh, legitimate. All right, speaking of things that are bad, worse than bad. We had Oscar Alexa Bliss and Dana Brooke against Nikki Ash, Dewdrop and Tamina. Dana splashed the heels when Reggie distracted her outside. This is 15 seconds into the match. And Akira Tozawa rolled her up at ringside to win the 24-7 title. Nikki then hit her swinging neckbreaker on Tozawa to win the title. Alexa Bliss hit her DDT on Nikki to win the title. Dewdrop then won it off Bliss with a running crossbody. Tamina super kicked her to win it. And then Dana rolled up Tamina to win it back because it always goes for a circle. And finally, moments later, Asuka tapped out Nikki Ash to end the actual match. Chris, this was absolutely, positively, completely nonsensical. It was honestly fucking horseshit. And I try not to get that mad at the 24-7 stuff anymore, but this sent me up a wall. It was so bad and so nonsensical that commentary even called out live how 24-7 title rules are always suspended when the champion is in another match. Yet that was completely ignored for no explained reason in the situation. Bliss pinned another opponent of hers in the match, yet the match didn't end, even though there was a count, because neither of them were legal in the tag team match that was ongoing during the 24-7 shit. And on top of all of that, this was a four-woman tag team match last week turned into a six-woman tag team match by just adding Dana Brooke and Tamina to it. So it wasn't even fresh. And after all of these years of hardcore titles and 24-7 titles, why the hell do 90% of these segments end with the title coming back around full circle. Yes. How many times have we seen the exact same booking? It's one thing if you do this and Alexa Bliss somehow walks out with the title. How about you let Asuka win it by accident? And then literally for the next month, she just murders anyone who tries to take it from her. They come up, she chokes them out. She slaps them across the face. She kicks their ass. Like, why not put it on someone where, yeah, Asuka, she's a legitimate great wrestler, but she also is a comedy character. Why not give her the 24-7 title and let her, as I just said, murder people, go back to being that dominant Asuka that everyone loves, make it funny that Reggie tries to come up and take it from her and she chokes his ass out backstage. You could make, actually- Make her like, the, make her like the, the clown from It. You, you could actually do something with this that could be entertaining. And I've given you back- Three years now, before 24-7 was introduced, I, I this was a title I wanted WWE to create because I thought they could do stuff with social media and even now TikTok and all these things, YouTube, to get people to tune in and see matches at random times, at house shows, at this and that. Instead, it is the same thing over and over. It's so bad, I don't even want to give it Roman's missionary position sound drop because that is at least of something that deserves to be pointed out and criticized. This was absolutely fucking ugly on every possible level. A true moron must have put this together. This, Chris, is as bad 
as professional wrestling gets. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. I'm glad you mentioned the pin that happened in the match involving people in the, in the match. <laughs> not counting. I I just, we've talked about the tournament for seven times a million times about what it can be, what it should be, what it's not. The absolute pinnacle of laziness. And I think what pisses me off the most about it is, like you said, and like I've said, the same person holding it at the end of the segment. Like, it never means anything. All these segments mean literally nothing because the same person comes out with it at the end. I just I can't believe brain cells are sent booking these things in this situation. I said a couple weeks back that I thought Becky Lynch should have taken the 24-7 belt when she had that Dana Brooke match. Like that's her downward spiral. She gets the 24-7 and tries to tell everybody it's the most important belt there is. And like yes. do something with that. Instead, they just take the absolute laziest path possible every single time. And then on top of that, you have the tag match. And it ends with Asuka doing her dance and Alexa comes in and just kind of like stands there, doesn't know what to do. He's just kind of looking at Asuka. Asuka's just dancing forever before they finally go to commercial. Just an absolute train wreck of a segment that, again, none of the women involved deserved any of that. They're being put in these positions and it's really unfortunate. This was terrible. (laughs) Absolutely terrible. Just in, in every possible way. Over on SmackDown, Lacey Evans had a match scheduled against Aaliyah. Before the match, WWE showed a video package splicing together Lacey's promo from last week with parts of her vignettes that focused on her service. She made production restart her music again and legitimately got booed as she spoke on the mic. She did her better than you line and suggested that she's saying it's too hard for common people to handle and understand. She apologized to anyone she offended and got booed even more. So she told the fans to go to hell. Then she wiped her hands and walked out of the ring without fighting. Focusing on her military service and not recalling the drug abuse stuff in the video package was the right call. I thought that was very smart because mm-hmm. what did we talk about last week? We said, hey, man, it was really weird that they spent all this time and capital to make Lacey Evans sympathetic, not just because of her military service, but because of drug abuse in her family and maybe other types of things that went on. And then to use that to make someone heal was really kind of disheartening and kind of disgusting on many levels. So to keep it about the military stuff was a really good decision, especially to bring back a video package that kind of put all the pieces together. And I do have to give Lacey credit for delivering her promo well also. She hit all the right notes and she is getting real heat, which can be rare these days. Also, skipping an Aaliyah match, it doesn't bother me. Promoting a match (laughs) and not delivering like Drew McIntyre and Sheamus, that's going to piss me off, especially when you do it for a full day. Lacey Evans and Aaliyah, I don't care. I thought this was actually handled well enough to be good. This was very good. That was a very good promo from Lacey Evans. Cleaning up what she had to kind of clean up, getting legitimate heat, making a point, saying I'm an American hero and I deserve this. That'll always get you booze in, in pro wrestling. Got big what chance. You know, like, this was this was good. Honestly, I the only thing I would have changed is I would have done the Aaliyah match, but just had her squash her in two minutes. Like, like you can build Lacey Evans up as a monster women's mm-hmm. heel if they want to. She she looks the part. She's military and all this stuff. I hope they do that. I, I you know we'll get the Aaliyah match. I assume at some point, but there's a lot of potential here. Again, 
they realize that she just works better as a heel and they're leaning into it. And that's really good. So I hope they have a plan for that. Uh, this was, this was definitely really good. Awesome. All right. So that's all like the wrestling stuff. Here's a couple other things that happened on Ron Smackdown. Just quickly before we get out of here, there was a video package for maximum male models that ended with an announcement that they will show off the beachwear collection next week with special guest Maxine Dupree. That's Maxine with two X's, by the way. Uh, McAfee clarified it's Max's sister, not his wife, which I did think was an important clarification. Uh, I'm trying to think, though, who from NXT has not been in action recently. But the only person I can think of that would make sense, because it's not going to be Io Shirai or Zoe Stark. They just, it just doesn't work. The only person I can think of that would fit this group is Ginny from NXT UK. Uh, for You probably don't know this, Chris, but she's dating Gunther. Um, so it would make sense to get her on the same brand. And given she hasn't been on TV in a while, it would make sense. She also, back in NXT UK, would dress up and like show off her body frequently. So she's someone who would fit within the modeling world, whether it's as a model or whether it's as like a stage manager or someone who kind of directs the models where to go. So no grade here, but I, I do think that by adding Maxine Dupree, uh, that creates a level of interest for next week. Yes. You know, we said last week that, okay, we got two weeks of the modeling. Like you got to kind of can't be doing the same thing a million times. Adding someone, adding a woman to the uh, group is a new thing. So that's a step forward. So um, I'm interested. So we'll see. Uh, The exact opposite of this happened on Raw when Veer (laughs) Mahan backstage was asked an interview question. He looked at the interviewer, said, boo like to scare her, and then left. Chris, what the fuck was that? So so this seems like they are pulling away from Veer being a screaming monster after like literally a year of build toward that. Well, yeah, but, I think that's a, but I think that's a good move. We have said, hey, this guy's well-spoken. He dresses sharp. Like you can like... Give him personality. Yeah. From, give, give him something different. So... It seems like they're kind of doing that, but he still looks like old Veer. And I don't know what the boot was. And then they cut to Miz and he's like, I think he likes you. So I don't know what the fuck that was. As if he's some caveman who can't speak or something. I mean, look, if he's... I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take it like that. I took it as like... No, no, no. Miz saying, no, no, no. Not what Veer did. Miz saying, I think he likes oh, you. Oh. As like he had to translate for him. You know what I'm saying? Like, look, oh, if, maybe, maybe yeah. if, if Veer is smitten with her and, you know, gets a makeover and starts wearing his suits and becomes debonair, then I, I'm going to love it. I'm going to say, holy shit, I was wrong. But like this, what we saw, I was just, I looked at my screen. I was like, what the hell was that? I, I, I Speaking of what the hell that was that, Titus O'Neil opened Raw with a spotlight oh. in the middle of the ring. He was announced as the company's global ambassador. He got really big cheers, which is great. Uh, he was in his home of Tampa. Raw was in Tampa. He also got a USA chant when he mentioned WWE support of the military. Then he said WWE is inclusive, not divisive, which is why it doesn't mention things like politics because it cares most about people having a good time. Then he did the whole welcome to Monday Night Raw intro. And it got a really loud reaction from the crowd. So I do have to say that. But there's nothing to grade here, obviously, Chris. I found the whole thing incredibly odd, to say the least. Was he out there just because Raw was in Tampa? Was it to try 
and put WWE over as a positive organization while controversy swirls around Vince McMahon, I'm not even sure they knew why they did it. I think it had a place on the show, given it was in his home of Tampa. And had they announced it as, hey, WWE Universe, welcome your native son and WWE's global ambassador, Titus O'Neil. And Titus, hey, I just wanted to come out here. It's great that Raw is back in Tampa. And then he gave his whole speech. I think it would have been fine. But for him to be in that ring with a spotlight as if it was some major deal, the word I have to describe it is odd. O-D-D. It was odd. It was fucking weird. My thought was, hey, it's Tampa. Let's have Titus O'Neil do it. And he's going to talk about how WWE is such a great, inclusive company in a great place. Don't worry about all the stories about sexual harassment from our boss. That that, that, that was that was my thought. I, I, I think that's what it was. And it's incredibly weird. And I'm sure Titus O'Neil probably knew that. But he pro- probably figured the good was outweighing the bad. Like if he had come out and said, hey, we're working with Connor's Cure or some charity, like look into it and welcome to Raw. Like then I would have been like, oh, it's just like a normal Titus O'Neil thing. But that like little speech there made it extremely weird. Well, that's really quick Uh, to interrupt you. That's the weird thing. Later during Raw, they aired a video package of Titus and WWE doing legitimate goodwill stuff in Tampa. So if he had said, you know, blah, 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 this is why I'm here. Look at what we did this week. This is the type of stuff. And then showed the package. It all kind of would have made sense together. Hey, it's Titus, it's Tampa. They're doing some goodwill. You know, maybe it's not as weird. But instead, they separated it and didn't even show you the goodwill as part of what Titus was doing. And then on top of that, just to add one more thing, why are you starting the show with this? Like, do it at the nine o'clock hour or the 10 o'clock hour. But to open the show with Titus O'Neil, I mean, I don't know what it did to their ratings. I love Titus. He's a Florida Gator. Go Gators. Like, he's, he's my guy. But it didn't make sense to start your show two weeks out from SummerSlam with Titus. Yes. It was very, very weird. Okay. Very weird. All right. Well, at least we're on the same page. With that, Chris, that was the week that was in WWE. We broke down literally every single thing that happened across SmackDown and Raw. We also gave you our early, the early version, I should say, of our final thoughts for SummerSlam. As far as what's coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, a little bit of a programming note for you. The Silver King actually is going to be on vacation the remainder of this week. Just taking a couple days to myself, uh, to a different part of Florida, going to the West Coast, going over to Naples. So as of right now, I do not know what the schedule is going to look like in terms of our AEW and NXT show. As of right now, I'm anticipating it still coming out Thursday, but there's a legitimate shot it does get pushed either to later Thursday or until Friday. So just keep an eye out for that. Realize that's something that uh, may come down the pike. It may be a day delayed. What will not be delayed is our next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast because that will be same bat time, same bat channel next Tuesday in this very spot. We will have your WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. We will break down every single match on the card and give you our pre-show expectation grade. Of course, at the end of that week, we will have WWE SummerSlam Instant Analysis, but we will break down all of that information for you on next week's show. Thank you once again to Vintage Chris Mini for joining me. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, reminding you of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings. 
on Apple. Also leave a review for us. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter to find out about when the next show is going to be published the AEW NXT show. And of course, just to follow us as we talk wrestling all week long. Once again, I appreciate all of you joining us for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for Vintage. This is Silver King, leaving you three final words. Bye for now.